Well, good morning. So as uh, Tim mentioned, my name is Eric Verstraits. I am the president of Life Matters Worldwide. Um, but more importantly than that, um, I, uh, I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a father. <clears throat> um, my wife and I have six boys. Yes, you can pray for us. The, the unwritten rule in our house is if it is not broken, it's not ours. My boys have an innate ability to break things. Um, but this morning I come to you um, with a message that uh, I believe, uh, and, and God seems to do this with me when I prepare messages, is most of the time he's looking at me saying, um, are you listening to what you're saying? Because you need this more than most. And so the message this morning, uh, will, our main verse will be Hebrews 4, 10 through 16 this morning. Uh, and we've entitled it Striving for Rest. Now, let me ask this question first before we get started. Will you, can you help me define what is rest? That wasn't a rhetorical question. I'm actually looking for an answer this morning. What is rest? Can you help me out this morning? If you had to define it or put it into words, what is rest? Taking a nap. Taking a nap. You know what? There's this, there's this uh, uh, very romantic thing about taking a nap. Have you ever noticed this? I experienced that this week when I was, uh, I was up at Cranhill Ranch this week. I was the chaplain there for a week. And a couple different times during the, the week, I got a chance to have some you know, time during the day. And, and, and a couple different times, I took a nap. How many of you, when you take a nap, sometimes you wake up and you feel worse than when you actually went to... Am I the only one? Can I see? You know, there's this very romantic idea about taking a nap. We want our kids to take naps, certainly, so we can have rest. But okay, so taking a nap is one way. What, what's another? How would you define... Rest or explain it to somebody else. Completing a project. You read my notes. We'll get back to you in just a second. What was you? Was someone over here? Waiting. Just sit. We don't like to wait, do we? We see traffic. What do we immediately do? Okay, Google, get me around the traffic jam. We see lines and we go, oh no, too long. I can't wait. Interesting. But the Lord calls us to wait on Him. We'll maybe get to that in a little bit. What else? So we've got completing a project, taking a nap, waiting. What else? How else would we define rest? Okay, you're going to have to do it one at a time. Yeah, in the back. Vacation. Vacation. Thank you, Pamela. Vacation. Taking a break. Peace. Doing nothing. Yes. Revive, ooh, we went spiritual on that one. That's awesome. So when I, when I, when I made the title for this message, this comes straight from uh, Hebrews, and um, this idea of striving for rest almost feels like it doesn't make sense because if you're resting, how can you be striving? Because that feels like you're doing something. How can you strive for rest. Interesting. I think God's going to show us what we need to see here. So, first of all, it's not just relaxation. I want to point that out. 
And God rested when his creative work was finished. Now, this is a very important point. So when you, when you mentioned earlier, the gentleman said, when you complete a project, one thing I actually enjoy doing is I like to wash the dishes. And the reason I like to wash the dishes is because I like to see at the end, I like to see that clean pile of dishes. And at the end, you can kind of go, <sighs> anybody else have that feeling? Or you, I, when, I, when I work in my shop, and I get my shop all nice and clean, right? Or when my boy cleans my shop for me because he's actually been doing work, and you walk in, you see the completion of something, you go, oh. Well, one of the major points that I want you to hear this morning is that the rest that we can have from God comes from the completion of his work. We're going to get back to that in a second. Because the completion of a task definitely brings rest. But my question to you this morning is, what is your task? What is God asking you to strive to complete? Because all of us have a task. God has designed each and every one of us for something. Now, there's some of us who speak for a living or we're in the upfront type of positions and so it's kind of obvious what our tasks are but oftentimes tasks can come in many different forms and fashions just like i see many forms and fashions of human beings in the audience today and often the task that god gives us is in perfect alignment not only with how we're created but what he's asking us to do personally so let's dig into this first part of Hebrews chapter 4. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And again, we come back to when did God rest? He rested when the work of creation was finished. When he looked at it and he said, this is good. And then he took a nap. Well, maybe not. He at very least, it says he rested, Right? Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. This example of disobedience comes from the Old Testament when the Hebrews actually didn't obey God. They didn't rest in what he had asked them to do. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is powerful, friends. That the word of God is supposed to cut us to the quick. And Jesus, who is the word, says that he even can know and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. I don't know about you, but that makes me just a little nervous because I know that my heart at times can be very wicked. And if God is the discerner of that, I need to do a better job of looking at what is the desire of my heart. What are the intentions of my heart? Because Jesus knows them, whether we think he does or whether we want to think he does or not. Continuing on in Hebrews... And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. Friends, Jesus has done the work for us. That is very clear that you need to understand this morning. But we have to ask and go back to the question, what is our work? God sees how we work. How will it be tested? How will your work be tested at the end of time? How will my work be tested? Now, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit more nervous when I get to heaven because it says clearly in Scripture that those who teach, we're going to be held to a higher standard. I kind of feel like God's going to kind of, like when I'm going to get to heaven because I believe in Jesus and I've confessed him with my mouth, I know that I'm going to see the Lord someday. But he's going to say, uh, we're straight. Now, come over here for a second. We've got to deal with some stuff first. Right? Because I'm going to be, because God has put me in the place of being a teacher. Now, I, I recognize that that's my work, but I also understand that that comes with a huge responsibility on my part. But our foundation has to be Christ. But here's the question. What kind of things are you building with? Because God sees our work. What are you building with? What are the, the elements that you're using to build your life, the foundations of your life, and the work that God is calling you to do. Back to the verse, uh, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now friends, this is incredibly encouraging. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, probably the last six or or nine months of my professional career have been the hardest six to nine months of my entire life, next to my wife and I experiencing cancer. My wife is a cancer survivor. When she was 23 years old, uh, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. It's a lymphomic cancer that attacks the lymph nodes of your body. And they were actually, uh, they told us that... uh, the chemo that we were going to have may cause us not to be able to have children. Well, clearly we proved them wrong. (laughs) Because God is a good God. Amen? Amen. And He loves us in the midst of our trials. In these last six to nine months that I've been going through, God has been breaking down the foundations that I had in some ways built for myself. I was talking with Tim this morning, and I said, you know, I've got a big personality. Oftentimes, my personality walks into a room before I do, right? Because I'm an extroverted person. How many other extroverted people do I have in the room today? Yeah, see how quick those hands went up? Because we're extroverts, right? All the introverts are going, please don't ask me a question. I married an introvert, which is an interesting thing. Now, my wife is the most extroverted introvert on the face of the planet, right? When you would see her, you were like, there's no way she's an introvert. But she totally is. But my extroverted personality, what happens is I often build the foundations of things on my personality. And over these last six to nine months, God has said, that is not okay. Your personality only goes so deep. 
So he's been breaking that down in my life, and now he's beginning to develop my character. There's a big difference between your personality and your character. Notice there's not as many amens that happen on that one because that's a painful process. And God has me in that painful process right now. I know he's got great things for me because my Jesus says I can sympathize with your weaknesses. See, God is showing me that if I'm truly to rest in him, I can't rest on my personality. I have to rest on my character. And where does my character come from? From my identity to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where my character is built on. Right? What is the greatest commandment? Let's say it a little bit louder so I can hear you. That sounds like... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your as as yourself. That means you need to love yourself. Wait a minute, Eric. That sounds like pride. No, it doesn't. God said to do it. Had an old lady in my church one time said... What's in the well comes up in the bucket. <laughs> Think about that for a second. I love, I love this woman with all my heart, Grandma Patty. Grandma Patty said, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And then she said, and I don't want to drink out of some of y'all's buckets. <laughs> now that's just being honest, right? She also said if the mountain wasn't smooth, you couldn't climb it. Some deep truth in that, right? If the I'm sorry, I said that wrong. If the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Sorry. You looked at me like I was crazy, because I was, because I said it wrong. <laughs> if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. We need those jagged places in our life to be able to grab hold, to be able to move forward. But my Jesus says that there's no points that jagged part of this mountain that we are climbing that he doesn't understand because he's been tempted in every single way that we have. And it's through his powerful work on the cross that we can actually find our rest and our comfort and our encouragement from him. We'll get back to that in a second. So what is the work of Jesus? He has completed his work. His completed work on Calvary, and he knows what we go through, for he has been our example. And if we truly are going to work as he did, we need to rely on the same God, the Father God, that he did. That's where our strength comes from. Okay. Another verse that I want to bring you to is Matthew eleven twenty nine, And God connected these two verses for me in a way that I've never seen before. So Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If we're truly going to find rest, we need to find rest to the completed work of Jesus at Calvary. Because his completed work on the cross is what gives us rest. And this yoke that we have to take on ourselves is a very powerful metaphor. It's a very powerful image. Okay? So I did a little bit of studying on yokes. And I found some very interesting things about this idea of a yoke. First, um, there's three different types of yokes that are out there. 
you have the head yoke. And the head yoke actually keeps animals from fighting. It's attached to the, the top of their head or their horns. Then you have the neck yoke. This neck yoke gives more control and because it's on the most powerful part of the body, the shoulders, and it's best for pulling something uphill. And then you have what's called the withers yoke. And this is specifically for animals that have humps on their backs. Okay? So let me give you a picture of each one of these different types of yokes. First, you have the head yoke. You can notice that it is on the head of the animal, and it keeps the animals from fighting. Now, some of us, and I probably would have to raise my hand on this one, we need to be put in a head yoke because we're stubborn. And we oftentimes can take things personally. And maybe we'll fight with people too often. So God needs to put us in a head yoke to keep our focus straight ahead and not be tempted to turn to the side for whatever reason. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's too many of us that we need to think about the words that are coming out of our mouth because most of the time they're no good. Because we're doing it from a bad intention of our heart, which God sees. we got to understand that. So for those of us who are really stubborn, God needs to put us in a head yoke. Okay? And, 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 and believe me, I'm just one sinner telling other sinners where the grace is this morning. right? Uh, this is me, y'all. I'm, I'm preaching to this guy. Because God's got to put me in a head yoke a whole lot of the time. But then there is the, um, the neck yoke. This goes around an animal, around the, the, the widest part, the shoulder part of their body. And this is, helps this animal use all of its strength to pull something uphill. Now, how many of you um, in the room have gone through a season of pain or heartache or discouragement or despair or frustration or disappointment? Yeah, get your hands up. Let me see them. And you feel like, Lord, it's just straight uphill. That's kind of the season that I feel like I'm in right now. I'm like, Lord, I need the neck yoke on me. I need to, to, to feel the rest of you because I feel like it's straight uphill. Right? I mean, in Scripture, it talks about, you know, that, that, that Lord, that, that he knows the plans that he has for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Right? He tells you to, to keep your eye on him because he will make your path straight. Right? He never said flat. Think about that for a second. Right? Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean on your understanding. But he says, I will make your paths straight. He never said flat. He never said that there was just going to be easy peasy. No, it might go straight, but it might go up and down like this. Now, God did tell us that he's going to give us life and life abundance. Life is just the stuff that happens to you. Ups and downs of life, right? When Jesus said he's going to give you life abundantly, maybe it looks like this. Lots of ups and downs. But the neck yoke, this rest that we have in him, will allow us to pull that uphill better. And then you have what's called the withers yoke. Now, this is a little bit hard to see, but you can see that... Ah, it's not going to work. 
you can see that the, this, this animal has a hump on their back, and that, that yoke is specifically put right up against that hump. So it perfectly fits the animal that is put on. Okay? So if we take these um, three things, the iron yoke, I had that in there. Um, in Deuteronomy 8, this is a yoke that was actually put on the, the, uh, the, the children of Israel. Um, in the Old Testament, that they, and this was, this was a, 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 an oppression yoke. There were people who were oppressing them, this iron yoke, okay? Then there's also the slavery yoke, and oftentimes we put this one on ourselves, right? We put this on ourselves. We think there's nobody who's going through the stuff that I'm going through. I must be the only person that is going through this particular hurt or this particular failure. I can guarantee you that you're not. There's nothing new under the sun, there's nothing that you are going through right now that Jesus hasn't already had to deal with in some way, shape, or form. And he's already given you the formula of how to deal with it. And that's put his yoke on you. So, if we go back to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. So what he is basically saying is that Jesus' yoke is light. And we find light when we give up what we think needs to happen to him. His finished work on the cross brings you rest. It's able. You're better able to carry the, your personal load that you've got going on because you're putting your, your trust in him. And it perfectly fits you and your circumstances that you're going through. So how do we strive for rest? We strive for rest by letting the completed work of the cross that Jesus has done for us be the guiding force in our life and be the foundation by which we do all other things. 1 John 2.9 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He is our example. We need to walk in him. 1 Corinthians 9.27 But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Am I practicing what I preach? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is I get caught up in how do I define, do I let my circumstances define who I am? Oftentimes I do. Oftentimes I do. But how do I rest in God, knowing that no matter what the circumstance may come before me, even if it feels so much bigger than me, I know that I can handle it because me plus God wins every time. Let me say that again. Me plus God wins every time. Bridget was 19 years old. She had just found out that she was pregnant. Now, Bridget knew that God existed, but she hadn't gone to church in years. She didn't live with her parents anymore, and she had found out that she had become pregnant. Her plan was, I need to have an abortion. I need to get rid of this baby because it does not fit with my plans right now. And Bridget was about as far away from God as you possibly could get. Now, she knew God existed, but she was about as far away from God as you could possibly get. She had heard about a, a local pregnancy care center in her area and that, and that she might be able to get some help, but she totally disagreed with their premise of, okay, come to Jesus. And she knew that they were going to talk to her about God. 
So what she decided to do was she decided to go into this pregnancy care center and just make these people's lives miserable because she did not believe in what they were selling because she was just going to have an abortion. But she wanted to make their lives miserable. And so she walked into this center, and from the moment she was greeted, she was just foul, foul-mouthed, cursed up and down. But these pregnancy center workers, they greeted her with love. And they never faltered from loving her and caring for her. The volunteer that, that, that was, was next in line was Nora. Now, Nora stood about five, not even five feet, one inches tall, and weighed about 98 pounds soaking wet. She was a small, petite woman. And Nora was the one who actually was going to go and minister to Bridget. Now, Bridget stood about five feet, 11 inches tall, so she was nine, almost ten inches taller than Nora. That's a big difference. And here comes little Nora, right? Takes her back. They do the free pregnancy test because Bridget just wanted to make sure that she was pregnant. And she, in fact, was. But she starts cursing again, right? Using the Lord's name in vain, left and right, just being fouled. And Nora, this precious saint, just stood there and just loved her. At one point, Bridget finally just says, was there anything else? Because I really don't need your help anyways, because I'm just going to go have an abortion. And she stands up to leave. And Nora, all of five feet, one inches tall, just steps in her way and says, before you leave, may I do two things. May I give you a hug, and may I pray for you. Before Bridget knew what was happening, this small, tiny little woman had her arms just wrapped around her. And Bridget realized that that was the first time that anybody had ever hugged her in her entire life. And she broke down. And she wrapped her arms around Nora. And Nora was able to pray for her. And Nora was able to share God's word with her that day. And Bridget came to know Jesus. <clears throat> Don't tell me that God can't work. Even when the circumstances look so much bigger than you possibly can imagine. That's right. I, I think God was just having fun that day. Because he could have had one of the other, he could have had one of the other volunteers who was a little taller going to that room. No, he needed to use Nora. To say, watch what I can do with these small, dynamic packages. <coughs> you haven't heard someone pray until you hear Norma, Nora just reach the gates of heaven with her prayers. Because she understands this concept of working in the completed work of Jesus on the cross. Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. It's waiting for you, and it desires to have you. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You see, friends, we have choices in our lives. Every day I wake up, I need to have the choice whether I'm going to walk in freedom in Jesus or whether I'm going to walk in captivity of the flesh and sin. Every single day. And each one of us has that same choice when we wake up in the morning. 
with this new perspective of <clears throat> allowing the, the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross to permeate everything that we do. I want to have that be your perspective as we look at some fairly other familiar verses of Scripture. Jeremiah 6.16, this is my life verse. I love this verse, because there's lots of action in this verse. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways, or some translations say, stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the old or ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Stand in the ways, stand at the crossroads. Every single day, we walk out of here, we're all going to be at crossroads. I'm at a crossroads in my life right now. Lord, how am I going to love and honor and serve you, even though I'm going through hard times today? And please let me talk to some of the older folks in the crowd today. You are part of those ancient and old paths. Did I just call you ancient and old? (laughs) The answer is yes! Embrace it! Because you have known God's faithfulness and love for years upon years. My generation needs to hear about that. My generation needs to know that God is faithful through the hard times. I need to know that when I go to work every day, and I fight for the unborn no matter what that looks like, that even though at days it feels like we're being defeated, I need to know that God is faithful. And how do I know that? By Grandma Patty who tells me things. Like what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And where are you getting your well from? Are you digging from the well of your personality? Are you digging from the well of God's character that rises up inside of you? Tell me. I need to hear that. The young people that you have in your midst desperately need to hear that. Because if you don't step up to the microphone, the media and the world is happy to take your place. I don't like that village raising my child. I want this village to raise my child. Because the faithfulness of God to this place and the stories that, 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 that I would hear about revival in the 70s, the Jesus freak movement. I only know parts of that. I mean, I was born in 1975. I'm only 44 years old. I need to hear about that. So don't sit, soak, and sour on the sidelines. Please engage with my generation and those who are younger because you have a calling and you have a purpose. Those of you who are a little bit more of ancient paths, you are the seasoned saints. Let us learn from your scars. And don't sit idly by and say, what could I do? What? We need to squelch that lie because it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because you have something to give. You have something to give. Grandma Patty, this wonderful saint that I have with you, she's starting something. She just feels God, God's call on her life. She's like, Eric, I don't know what I can give, but so she's starting this thing, and all it's called is Conversations with Grandma Patty. And she's inviting young people over to her house, and she's just going to talk about God, and she's going to talk about her faithfulness. 
How many of you like to drink coffee? It's okay to admit. What if you had coffee with someone else? Stop drinking coffee by yourself. That's super simple. This is not difficult. But it's one of the hardest things, but it's one of the most important things. So I look at this and go, if, if I know the ancient paths, if I know that because you rested in God, I then can rest in God, that's going to help me have a new perspective on this verse. What about Ephesians 6.13? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all that to stand. The only way that I can stand is through the finished work of Jesus at Calvary. The only way that I can stand. Because if I try to stand on my own power, I will fail miserably every single time. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I stand and look at the mercies of God, it's the only way that I can offer my bodies as a living sacrifice. And how do I know the mercies of God? Because I have a high priest who has gone before me, whose yoke I can put on based on the victory that he had at Calvary. Colossians 1, 29. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his workings, which works in me mightily. His workings, not my own workings. Powerful, powerful concept. So what now? We must work. What work must you be completing? What is God calling and asking of you this day? He's not calling all of you to go to Africa. He's not calling all of you to do what seems to be these great and powerful things. He may may be asking you to bring a mug of coffee across the street and go talk to your neighbor. He may be asking you to talk to your colleague at work. He may be asking you as a young person to listen to those who are around you. We must learn from Jesus, for he is our example. We must build rest into our schedules. This is so incredibly key, and and the Lord is finding this um, in me, definitely. Do I take Sabbath rest in my own life? Do I take Sabbath rest in my schedule? A friend asked me the other day, she says, we tithe 10%, which is some, the standard of measurement that the Bible has laid out. We tithe 10%. And if we actually all tithe 10%, our churches would be overflowing with money and would not even know what to do. This is not a call to giving. I'm just making a point, okay? But what if you tithe 10% of your day and your time to God? 24 hours in a day. What if you gave him 2.4 hours of each day and you just said, this is God's time? That freaks a lot of you out. Because 2.4 hours in a day is like an eternity. You're like, you know how much I could get done in 2.4 hours? 
You know how much work could be done for the kingdom in 2.4 hours? We build rest into our schedules. Because rest will help us in our pursuit. And our pursuit is to listen to what God has for us. But too often we try to take the controls of our own life. I don't know about you, but I, I like this certainty. I like to be able to control things in my life. It's when I don't have control that God seems to work the most. I was at Cran Hill Ranch this last week. And Thursday night typically is the night that we share the gospel with the kids. And I walked in to the tent that night, and out of a scale of 1 to 10 of energy level, I was at a 1. I was spent. I was done. I was like, Lord, I don't have anything to give to you. And he said, that's exactly where I want you. And God brought a message through me that night that I can only tell you it was not me because I came with nothing. And God brought a message and we saw 25 to 30 kids accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior on Thursday night at Cranberry Ranch. All glory to Him. All glory to Him because I want, if, if I had the control, I would have just gone up and just said, Jesus loves you, you got to trust in Him. Because that's where I felt. But God brought me alive and brought a message in my heart that I needed to hear more than anything, and he just allowed everybody else to be a part of the conversation. But that's what my God does, right? So I want to end today with a poem that I found, and I love this poem. It's called A Tandem Ride with God. And let me say before this that if you're at a point where you don't know Jesus, you're like, Eric, you know, I've heard about this Jesus, but I just don't know that I can trust him. Don't leave here today without doing business with God. There are people here that will love to talk with you about what that looks like. And when we're dismissed after the service, I'm not going to necessarily call you up. But if after the service, I'll be up here and old Pastor Tim will be back at the welcome station. If you need to talk with someone, please don't leave this place today without having that conversation to begin to know what this Jesus looks like. Because I can tell you, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, my life has not been the same since. So listen carefully to this, what I believe to be a God-ordained poem called A Tandem Ride with God. I used to think of God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I died. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. But later on when I met Jesus, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike, but it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Jesus was in the back helping me pedal. I didn't know just when it was he suggested we change, but life has not been the same since. I took the back seat to Jesus, my Lord. He makes life exciting. When I had control, I thought I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts, up mountains, through rocky places, and at breakthrough speeds, it was all I could do to hang on. 
Even though it often looked like madness, he said, pedal. I was worried and anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and he'd touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. He'd say, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met. And I found in giving, I received. And still, our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend, to take sharp corners, jump to clear high rocks, fly to shorten scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest of places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus. And I'm sure, and when I'm sure, I just can't do any more. He simply just smiles and says, pedal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you in the powerful and holy name that you have. And Lord, I ask that in all things that you love and Honor the people that are in our presence this morning, Jesus. Father, I thank you for trusting me with the power of your word. But Lord, it's your word that's powerful, not mine. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you allow me, your servant, to be able to deliver what I believe you had put on my heart today. Jesus, we come before you and we lay our plans at your feet. And we ask, Lord, that you bless them. But Lord, if these plans are not of you, I ask that you change them and give us the courage to listen to you when, 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 you, when you speak to us. Father, if there's anyone in this place today, within the sound of my voice, that does not know you, I ask that you so richly come into their heart and into their mind right now and, and, and direct them to come to someone, Lord. Prick their heart, Jesus, so they know that it's you and only you that's coming into their life right now. And I ask them, ask you to give them the courage to stand up and move forward to somebody and ask, tell me about this, Jesus. So, Lord, we leave this place today in humble adoration of your goodness and your greatness. Do powerful works today in our lives, Lord. And at the end of it, we're going to be very careful to give you the honor and the praise that you so richly are due. So it's in your precious and holy name that we pray all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.